Can I ask you please to turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Galatians. Last week, we looked at the subject, who cut in on the race that you were running? And um, we looked at the book of Galatians, how Paul comes to the church at Galatia, and he speaks to them about the race that they are running. And he explains to them about some of the warnings that they need to heed while running the race. Paul had established the church within Galatia, and he had discipled many of the believers there with the teams that he worked with. But as he had moved out into other churches to strengthen them, to establish churches with other teams, he had heard that false teachers had gotten into the church, and also false apostles, and they've come and they've preached a gospel that was different to the gospel that he had preached. And he made it very clear, and he said to the people of Galatia, he says, if any other man preaches any other gospel than this, let them be accursed. And you find within the book that Paul wrote to the church at Galatia, that he speaks very pointedly to them. That's just another way of saying that he was rather angry and he was rather cross and he spoke very strongly to them. And you could read what he has to say here because my friends, error will cause people, if they listen to it, to veer off of the path. When it comes to error, we must hit error face on with the truth and we need to speak it in love but love doesn't mean that we are not clear concerning the message that we give. Because we see that Paul here is very clear on what they should do in this race and what they shouldn't be doing within this race. And so he lays this foundation for the church at Galatia. And you will see that the church at Galatia was taught by Paul that salvation is through is by grace through faith alone. And Jenny spoke on that so well a few weeks ago, how Martin Luther discovered that truth and how he preached it even to the point of giving his life for that truth. And so Paul is saying to the church here, don't listen to what these false prophets are saying and these false teachers and these false apostles. And they were saying, look, you could mix the pure gospel with works, meaning that what you need to do, yes, believe in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. But you need to go back, and for the men, they need to be circumcised again. Ladies, those days, they had it very, very easy. The men had to be circumcised, but, uh, but the ladies were left out of the whole process there. You know, and so I think Paul was quite strong on that. And he says, guys, you cannot mix grace and works as it amounts to salvation. He says, you can't do that. And the works in those days were related to circumcision. And circumcision was a sign that you were a part of the covenant. 
And Paul is saying, no, no, my friends, you are a part of the covenant, the everlasting covenant of God, when you have found your way to the cross, and when you have found Jesus at the cross, and when he revolutionized your life, you no longer have to work for your salvation. And in that case, to find your identity by being circumcised. He says, you find your identity at the cross based on what Jesus had done for you. Very simple definition of the gospel that I hold dear to my heart is simply this, that Jesus did for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. That's the gospel. And Paul is serious about this. And you just read a little bit further and you can understand that he was very, very strict on this point. No deviation on that. So Galatians chapter 5, and I'd like us to read verses 7 to 12. Paul says this. You were running a good race. It's quite nice every now and then for us to look at each other and just say to them, We'll say to one another, you know, Kim, you're running a good race. Let's encourage one another. Alan, you are running a good race. Surely you are running a good race. Encourage one another. Paul here comes and he says, you were running a good race. What happened? And we looked at that last week. What's actually happened? And all of us, have experiences where something or someone cuts in on our race. Suppose that you were running a good race. I remember Jen and I, um, when we were on our way to France, we went on holiday. First time we've been in France. Um, we had been to Paris, but flew in, but this was the first time we were driving in France. And we were crossing, crossing the safe and secure borders of Switzerland. And as we left Switzerland, we visited some friends in Grenoble, and as we left there, we were on our way to a couple of places in France, and we were on the highway. We had veered off of the scenic route, and as we were getting to the toll gates, and in South Africa, we have many toll gates, so we understand some of the rules of the toll gates. And so as we were getting to the toll gates, normally you have to slow down. There's speed limits, and you know, you go in, France, which I absolutely love, from 130 to 100, and then to 80, then to 60, then to 40. And being a good Swiss citizen, and I follow the rules meticulously. And so I was slowing down, and I was slowing down, and I was slowing down, and there was a guy behind me. And he was in a hurry, and he didn't like me sticking to the rules by slowing down. And you can ask Jane, I'm quite meticulous when it comes to rules. I'm a rule-abiding citizen. And this car was on my backside. And my father always taught me, he says, if a car is on your backside, just press your brake just slightly so your brake lights can come on. And then they'll stop. And so I've tried all of those type of things, but this car was on there. And as we got to all of the toll gates there, and all of the lanes were full, Oh, quite a few cars. This car swerved out and he came next to me and he looked at me and he came and he tried to swipe me from Jenny's side, which obviously aggravated me a little bit. I protect my wife, 
But he came and he honestly, Jen, her eyes were like this, and she jumped closer to me and I said, ooh, I wish a car would do that more often, you know? And uh, she was close to me because the car virtually hit us. And when I looked on the side of his car, it was wrecked already. So it's a local practice that he has almost perfected to perfection. And so he tried to swipe me from the side. But as he did it, I got such a pride that I had to step to the side, but there were cars there. And fortunately, um, I got out of this trouble and this car went and he did everything he shouldn't be, went through the gates and he did the same thing to the cars up front there because they were quite busy. This guy was trying to cut in on the race that I was driving. My friends, oftentimes that is what happens within our lives. Something sideswipes us and we don't even see it. It takes us by surprise and it can cause us to stop running the race. And so Paul is saying to them, these guys are coming into your midst. He is trying, they, uh, they're trying to deceive you. They're trying to mix Judaism and Christianity and it doesn't go together. Christianity is a religion, or it's not a religion. It is a faith that stands by itself. There's nothing like that within all of the world. So you can't mix other things with it. The worldly system, you can't mix with it, friends. You'll dilute the gospel. That's what Paul is saying to the church at Galatia. Be careful of diluting the gospel with worldly philosophies and practices. Be very, very careful. So he says, who cut in on you to keep you from obeying the truth? That kind of persuasion does not come from the one who calls you. A little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. I'm confident in the Lord that you would take no other view. The one who is throwing you into confusion, whoever that may be, will have to pay the penalty. Book of James says, let not many of us try to be teachers because we will receive the stricter judgment one day when we stand before God. Brothers and sisters, I, if I am still preaching circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been abolished. As for those agitators, I wish they would go the whole way and emasculate themselves. I told you that Paul was being pretty direct, and I told you that Paul wasn't a wishy-wishy guy. I told you he was pretty straight down the line, and I think sometimes we're kinder than Jesus when it comes to the gospel. He comes and he's straight down the line, and he says it as it is because he's making a point here. And then in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, Paul equates this journey with a race. And he says, do you not know that in a race all run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beat in the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself may be disqualified. 
So we see that we are all running a race. And we've got to be very careful about those side swipe experiences or even teachings that come our way. But last week we looked at how do we get back into the race? Because, my friends, for every single one of us, there are those experiences where we are bumped out of the race. Oftentimes, as I explained last week, we choose a safer lane, we think, than the one we should be in. And the devil is very quick to push us outside of the race. As I said last week, I never liked the inside track. And I didn't like the outside track. I liked the middle track because then I could see both sides. And I knew when to accelerate and when to slow down, preserve my energies as I'm running this race. And Paul says we need to run to win the race. But how do we get back into the race? Last week, we saw that we get back into the race by discovering the gospel again by remembering the cross. And that's why, Ken, can you bring it just a little bit closer? Needs to be in full view of those who have so graciously joined us through online viewing. And you'll see, my friends, sorry, Christine, it's right there in front of you. But we get back into the race by discovering the gospel again. Discovering the truth that Jesus did for me, what I couldn't do for myself. So last week as we broke bread together, it was such a special time, wasn't it? And we look back at the cross. My friends, there is only one time that you and I need to look back at our lives. And Paul says this so that we could remember Jesus. We don't look back to remember our sins because in the cross, Jesus settled that. We don't look back remembering our shame because that was covered by Jesus in such a complete and whole way. We don't look back at the cross. Sorry, we don't look back to remember how bad we were because he has transferred us from darkness to light. We were not a people, but now we are the people of God, Peter says. The cross affects a transaction that we don't want to reverse back again. He became our righteousness. And so we don't go back and we stay at the place where we make our mistakes. My friends, we only go back to the cross when we have been misled, when we, someone has cut in on us, and we have gotten lost on our way. And we go back to the cross. Something beautiful happens within our lives. You see, Jesus is no longer on the cross, but it reminds us what he did for us. And my friends, at the cross, we find our identity again in God. If you've lost your identity in some way, just look back at the cross and see what Jesus had done. He paid the highest price for your sin and for mine. And our identity is not in our performance. Our identity is in what Jesus did for us. He covered us with his robe of righteousness so that we can walk 
in holiness. Our identity is found in the cross. The longer I serve Jesus and the older I get, which I'm still very, very young, I realize I can't keep myself saved. <laughs> it is purely Jesus who can do that. It's a good place for lift to say amen on that one. I'm not strong enough. I'm not clever enough. The older we get, you would think that we become wiser. I think sometimes the older we get, we become a little bit more skittish. <laughs> the older we get, uh, we start to forget things. Our identity is found in Jesus. Sometimes when we've lost it, we need to go back to the cross and see what he's done for us. We remember him. Also, our security is found in the cross, my friends. How, how come you can trust God with your salvation, but you can't trust him with your life? It doesn't make what sense to me. You need to get back to the cross. Find your security in him. During this coronavirus, I think people have lost their security in God because they've veered away from the gospel. Someone sideswiped them. They're listening to other things. They don't listen to the word of God. My friends, we've got to deal with the same thing in the same way when we look at our walking God. Find your security in the gospel. I know I'm spending way too much time on it again, but, but I think it's so important that we live in the freedom of the gospel, knowing that Jesus did for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. Even as a Christian, I still can't do for myself what I think I need to do. It comes through Jesus. We remember an empty cross, an empty grave, because Jesus triumphed over everything that could seek to alter our identity in him, but also to destroy our security within him. Had the opportunity a little while to go and pray for people, and I didn't know the people, but as I walked into the apartment, and the people were quite desperate, and their situation was also desperate, precious people, and I visited them several times after that, but as I walked in, the mother came and she hugged me. And she just held me for maybe a minute, minute and a half. And tears within her eyes. You know, and I thought that I so easy could have pushed her away. And I so easy could have said to her, please don't touch me, I'm coronavirus sensitive. It's true. I believe we need to be wise. I believe we need to be careful. I've never washed my hands more than what I ever have before. My parents taught me you wash your hands after these occasions. But now I find I'm washing my hands. But my friends, we've got to be so careful that we've lost our security. We need to get back to the cross. We need to find our identity in him. We need to find our security with him. I don't expect you to say amen on that one. 
Secondly, we get back into the race by walking in faith by the Spirit. The Galatians writer says in chapter 3 verse 1, he says, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by believing what you've heard? Faith is believing what we've heard and what we hear from the Word of God. This is what we stand on to have faith. My friends, we look back at the cross. To find certain things. But to carry on in our journey, we need to walk or run in faith by the Spirit. Galatians chapter 3 verses 13 and 14 says, and Paul speaking to the Galatian church, remember he is wrestling with them, yet he is very strong with them in this letter. And so he says to them in chapter 13 of chapter 3, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a pole. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus, so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. My friends, we get back into this journey and we continue to run the race that is set before us by walking in faith. Faith means we believe what God says. The enemy over this period of time is so clever to drop certain doubts within our minds. When those doubts occur, go back to the word of God. Even if you have to take a step back to the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ again. And let the Holy Spirit remind you about what the word of God says. And supernaturally, God will strengthen you as you walk in faith. Faith is a supernatural transaction that happens within our lives that is birthed in the living word of God. It is key for us over these times to live in faith by the Spirit of God. My friends, on this journey that I run, I realize that all that I have and all that I am becoming is through faith in what Jesus did on the cross for my life. My Old Testament Bible teacher used to say to me, you've got to appropriate God's blessing. That means you've got to believe it in faith. That means faith means that I actually believe what God says. Faith says that you are a son of God, Peter. Believe it. Faith says that God will provide for all of your needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. That's what the word of God says. In faith, 
I receive it and I start walking in it and something supernatural happens within my life. My friends, the fruit of the Spirit within our lives happens because there is a supernatural thing that happens within our lives when we walk by faith. I have a wonderful story to tell you about just walking in faith. I got a phone call from my brother-in-law yesterday. He was very, very excited. My sister and him, they look after my mom, and my mom lives with them. And my mom um, is doing well and is getting stronger. And um, Miguel and my mom have a wonderful relationship. Oftentimes, I kid with Miguel. I said, Miguel, I think my mom loves you more than she loves me. He says, impossible. And so we, you know, he's just so good to my mom. He's, he's an angel, this man, an amazing, amazing guy. And he cares for my mom so, so well. And my sister too, but, but he's amazing, this man. And he got into the shower on Thursday. And he's got an ankle that's not too good. And Miguel is 60 now. And um, as he got into the shower, he slipped and he fell. And as he fell, he hit his shoulder on the basin. He twisted his hand and he could hardly get out. And he had to be on two crutches for Thursday. And um, he was walking around and he said, Piet, I couldn't even walk on my legs. And that evening, my mom looked at him and she said, Miggy, what's wrong? And he says, Mom, I fell in the shower. And as my mom so many times have done for me when I was small, my mom just looked at him and says, Miggy, let me pray for you. My mom just prayed for him. And he says, just a very simple prayer, but it was very sincere. It was from the heart. And he said the previous night, you know, the whole day, he just couldn't sleep on Thursday. So she prayed for him on Friday. And on Friday evening, he went to bed on his crutches, and he slept, he said, like he hadn't slept for a while. He got up the next day, and he wanted to feel his leg. He climbed up, and God had healed him. He says his ankle was a little bit stiff, but his hand, his shoulder, and particularly that bad ankle, he says, he was healed. He says he took the crutches, both of them, he threw it away, and I spoke to him yesterday with my mom and said, he says, Pierre, look, I'm, I'm fine. What was that? What was that? My friends, faith is an action. My mom exercised her faith, not even thinking, but, it, but she exercised her faith, prayed a very simple prayer, and God healed Miguel like that. My friends, if we are to run this race, we need to run it in faith. By the Holy Spirit, because you and I need God's supernatural supply within our lives. What God centered around the cross comes to us through faith by the Holy Spirit. And Paul is saying to the church at Galatia, you don't need to be circumcised again for those things to happen. He says, believe what God had said, and faith is appropriating that blessing and walking in it. I want to encourage you to walk in faith. Why? Because through the cross, the gospel that entered our lives, we stand on a very solid foundation.
Faith is simply believing what you have heard. Walking by faith through the Spirit, you will have strength for today. And then thirdly, for us to stay in the race, and if you've stepped out of the race and you're coming back, we do it by walking daily in the promises of God. There will be then hope for your tomorrow. Daily in the promises of God. I don't know if you remember. When I was a teenager, my mom bought me a little present. And it was like a red little box. And it was the daily bread box filled with promises. Have any of you seen that? Very good. It was very popular in my day. And um, all Christians were giving presents to Christians, and it was that box. So daily in the mornings, you open up that box and you take out a promise. And you claim that promise and you live it out. You remember Amelia. And, 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 and so that box was given to me. But as a young little boy, I, I loved the Word of God since I was very, very small. And so I loved reading the Word of God. And so... When my mom gave me that little box and I pulled out that promise, and they were beautiful verses, but I felt hard done by, by taking out that promise. And if you like it, I'm sorry, it's just my own personal preference, but I never really got into the box. But I did get into the Bible. But the promises of God was very interesting because people lived and died by the bread of life promise box. And it did some good, undoubtedly, because it is the word of God that is given out. But the promise, the problem was that people claimed promises that was never theirs to be claimed when you took it out, because you took that promise completely out of context from the word of God. Completely. Every promise in the word of God is not necessarily meant for you. And so you need to read the Word of God, you need to know the Word of God, and you need to read the Word of God in context. And then you can claim the promises of God. As a young boy, you know, I was so privileged to have wonderful teachers around me, wonderful people who discipled me. Part of my problem was that I was just in and out of all certain church groups. And so I learned this emphasis, and I learned that emphasis. And I, the promised people, I was with them on Thursday nights, and they just claimed all of the promises from Genesis to Revelation. Have you ever heard that prayer being prayed? Lord, I claim all of the promises from Genesis to Revelation. Amen. Some of those promises I did not want to claim because if you realize what you were claiming, you wouldn't claim it. But my friends, I believe that the word of God is filled with promises for you and me. Look at Galatians chapter 3 verse 16. And Paul again speaking to these Christians from Galatians, from Galatia. And he says to them, in chapter 3, verse 16, the promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. Scripture does not say seeds, meaning many people, but 
and to your seed, meaning one person who is Christ. The promises of God, as Paul says in the book of Corinthians, he says they are yes and amen because they are in Christ. And then Galatians chapter 4 verses 6 and 7 says this. Because you are his sons and daughters, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out Abba Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has also made you an heir. So what is God's? He transacts to you and I in the form of a promise. That's a wonderful truth. I remember it's one of the scripture verses that I memorized, that I am an heir of the Father, I'm a joint heir with Jesus Christ. And so the inheritance that I want to leave behind for Jenny, assuming that, I, that she outlives me, which I think she will, and for my sons, all of the stuff that I have, I'm going to give to them one day because they are my heirs. It's in the form of a promise. Jenny, Ryan, Chris, I'm leaving this behind for you. Some of the promises that are in God's word is for later. Some have taken place and some is for now. And I think that as we read the word of God very clearly and carefully, we'll find out what promises are actually us or not. Can anyone tell me how many promises there are in the Word of God? Who have counted all of the promises in the Word of God? If Craig Mitchell was here, Craig probably would have said, I've counted them. One guy that I looked up, he said, no, there is something like 700 promises in the Word of God. But then another guy said, there is a staggering 3,573 promises. I wonder whether he wrote the bread of life. <laughs> little booklet with all of those little things in it. My friends, it doesn't matter how many there are, but one thing I do know is that Christ, when he died and when he rose again, he left promises for you and I to live in, which gives us hope for the future. You see, there are many types of promises. There are unconditional promises, and there are conditional promises. There are covenants in the Bible which is conditional, and some which is unconditional. Genesis chapter 9, verse 11, um, when God spoke to Noah, he says, and I'll establish my covenant with you. Neither shall all flesh be cut off anymore by the waters of the flood. Neither shall there any more be a flood that will destroy the, the earth. That's an unconditional promise. But then we see illustrations like in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, 14, which is a conditional promise where it says, if my people who are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and I will forgive their sins and I will heal their land. That's a conditional promise. And so when you read the promises in the word of God, you've got to find out whether it's unconditional or whether it is conditional. 
Some of God's promises are to be fulfilled in the future, as I said, and some others are to be fulfilled now, and some have already been fulfilled. There are warning promises in the Word of God. Be careful, don't do this. There are saving promises in the Word of God. John chapter 3, verse 16, for God so loved the world. There are motivating promises in the Word of God where God motivates us when we read these promises. There are guiding promises in the Word of God where in the book of Psalms and Proverbs you have so many of the guiding promises that if you acknowledge me in all your ways, I will direct your paths. They are lifting promises, those promises that are just there to lift us up. The Lord, in Psalm 8-7, says, um, the Lord also will be a refuge for the oppressed. There are all kinds of these hopeful promises, and so we can go on and on and on. But my friends, for you to run the race, you've got to be able to get into the Word of God and read the Word of God as a son and as a daughter, not as a slave, not as a sinner, because you are not a sinner, you're a saint, because of the transaction that God made at the cross for you. He transformed your life, saint being a son and a daughter. My friends, so many of us read the word of God as slaves or as sinners, my friends, three-quarters of these promises is not for sinners. It is for believers who's been washed by the blood of Jesus, who stand secure within him, who have their identity founded in Christ. And Jesus said, I give my inheritance to you in the form of promises, and he wants you through faith to live out those promises, and that'll give you hope. So I'm going to ask you to stand with me, would you please? And can I have the worship team please to come, the band? Next time I say, can the worship please, team please come forward, then all of you come forward. Would the band please come? Russell Kelso Carter, who was born in 1849, was a star athlete of a military academy and an outstanding student academically as well. He was multi-talented. He was all an ordained Methodist minister, a musician and songwriter, and he also earned a medical degree um, and spent the last of his professional years as practicing as being a physician. At the age of 30, he became critically ill with a heart problem, and the doctors told him there was nothing they could do for him. He was already a Christian, but it was during that health crisis that came uh, that he came to a new depth of faith in God. God's word became more alive to him than ever before. He began to study with new zeal and intensity uh, the word of God, and he discovered the promises of God that is set throughout the scriptures. And he came to the point that he prayed, Lord, whether you see fit to heal me or not, from now on, my life is fully yours, and I'm going to stand on the promises of God. Then he wrote that great hymn that some of you may know, Standing on the Promises of God. It was several years later that his health began to improve, and he lived a full, productive life 
until the age of 79. He doesn't always see fit to heal our diseases. Sometimes he takes his children to heaven without healing the disease here. And we've experienced that, but sometimes he does when we hold on to the promises of God. And this man who had this experience wrote this hymn, and I'd like the words of that hymn on, please. It says, standing on the promises of Christ, my King, through eternal ages let his praises ring. Glory in the highest, I will shout and sing, standing on the promises of God. Standing on the promises that cannot fail when the howling storms of doubt and fear assail, by the living word of God, I will prevail. Standing on the promises of God. Standing on the promises, I now can see perfect, present cleansing in the blood for me. Standing in the liberty where Christ makes free. Standing on the promises of God. Standing on the promises of Christ the Lord, bound to him eternally. By love's strong cord, coming daily with the spirit's sword, standing on the promises of God. Standing on the promises, I cannot fall, listening every moment to the spirit's call. Resting in my Savior as my all in all, standing on the promises of God. Soon afterwards, when this hymn was written, a young soldier went to war. His two legs were blown off. He was lying in the bed, recovering, and he discovered Jesus Christ. And he came out of the hospital, and people asked him and said, how is it possible that you've come through this terrible ordeal? And he said to them, I've learned to stand on the promises of God. For some of you, you need to stand on the promises of God. And as we sing, I'm going to pray for us afterwards that you would be strengthened by making sure that you've been to the cross. Making sure by faith through the Holy Spirit's help that you find strength for today. And then, to delve into the Word of God and to live by His promises. Let's sing together, please.